But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15, and that is the well-known Great Commission of Christian Apologetics, and coming at you from the great state of Texas. Texas. Welcome to another edition of Bridge Radio, and I am Julio Ahmad Rodriguez, and across from me, you heard him, he's been out since the... uh, since the end of last year, Mr. Abe Varilla, yes. or A.W. How's it going, man? Um, Thank you. doing great. Great to be back. Uh, uh, we were out for the holidays, uh, and then sick, and yes, yeah, so anniversary, wedding anniversary. A so, lot going on for you, Yeah, man. there was a lot going on at the beginning of the year, so I couldn't be on in the first uh, couple podcasts. I know that John Sampson was able to come in and... Um, uh, cover for us because you were over at G3. I was in, at in, G3 in Atlanta, so that was pretty awesome. And I know that you got to meet a lot of people over there. So uh, shout out to John Sampson. Thank you very yes. much, buddy. You did a great job on the Trinity, um, and yeah, it was amazing. So it was. I was really happy to listen to that. Um, and, and he's a he's a partner of the of the ministry. Of the ministry. And, he was he was super hilarious when he, he was when he was the intro that he did. So Arizona, yeah. Arizona. <laughs> so that, that was awesome. I bet you for people who don't listen to our podcast, they have no idea why he did that. That's <laughs> yeah. the reason why he did it is because Abe at the beginning of our program always says Texas whenever yeah. I say Texas. So, yeah, so anyway, yeah, please go check out that podcast and a good morning, afternoon, and evening to everyone who is listening. We are the Christian podcast that brings on the world's top Christian. Apologists, theologians, and scholars to discuss worldview and theology, and today a little bit of philosophy. So I'm yeah. super excited to have on a first-time guest who I have been trying to get on for quite a while, but like me, my ADD brain, I, I, I write it down or I think about it, and then it just goes out, and it, 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 it never comes back to me until a while. So Follow up. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, guys, you can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Android, Windows, and through our Bridge app. Uh, simply go to any app store, and you can type in Bridge Ministries. You'll see our logo, our name, and our slogan, Coffee and Good News, and you can listen to Bridge Radio on there as well, as, uh, as well as listen to a lot of good theological goodness. So we have expository sermon series through books of the Bibles, devotionals, and you could also sign up for uh, Bible studies here that we have at our ministry. And uh, Abe just mentioned right now that I was um, at G3, and so I actually want to give away something to our audience. Mm. Uh, for those who have listened and first-time listeners, please drop us a positive review. And at G3, I got Sermon on the Mount by Sinclair Ferguson. It's a Ligonier DVD set. Uh, it's a uh, each, it's a, how many sermons are on here? Twelve? And there are yeah, 12, 23-minute messages on the Sermon on the Mount. So how to win this for free, I'm going to send it out. Uh, simply uh, email me at juliobridgeman at gmail.com and drop us a positive review. And the first one who does so will get this free DVD set. So thank you, everyone. Uh, and as well, you could uh, find us on Facebook and Instagram at Bridgeman Laredo. All right, are you ready for today's program? I am ready and super excited. Let's get this started. Today we're going to bring on someone who's going to teach us how to be atheist. Yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> so, <No. laughs> so anyway, like I said, we're, uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, skepticism. We have a brother in Christ who read, who, I'm sorry, he wrote a book titled How to Be an Atheist, Why Many Skeptics Aren't Skeptical Enough. John, Friends, John, Friend, John Frame said this about his book. This book deals with some highly technical matters in a learned way, learned way uh, but with wit and clarity, and he profited uh, from this book very much. He is a senior fellow of philosophy at New St. Andrews College in Moscow, Idaho. In addition to studying philosophy under uh, a well-known philosopher by the name of Alvin Plantiga, our guest holds degrees in religion and mechanical engineering and holds a couple of patents in aeroderivative gas turbine technology. Whatever that is. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much, Dr. Mitch Stokes, for joining us today. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, so, doctor, you're going to have to explain that to us, you know, uh, the gas turbine technology, you have patents, is that correct? Aero, can you explain to our guests yeah. what, uh, a little bit? What is that yeah, so, for us, so not past, so smart folks? Yeah. <laughs> in, in my past career, I was uh, an engineer, and um, one of the things that I worked on was uh, basically gas turbines for power generation. And so the company that I worked with um, researched and developed those. So yeah, so that's what the, those are just uh, basically enormous jet engines that drive uh, power generators at power plants. Hmm. Wow. Awesome. Well, just to give our audience a picture of what kind of guests that we have on today, and Abe, I told Abe I was going to share share this with him, but it's his academic credentials, and I was just blown away. So. Dr. Mitch Stokes has a bachelor's in mechanical engineering from the University of Florida, a master's in mechanical engineering from the University of Central Florida, and then he uh, he has he studied at Reformed Theological Seminary as well. Not only that, he has a master's in religion, philosophy of religion from Yale, a master's in philosophy from Notre Dame, and he got his PhD in philosophy from the University of Notre Dame as well. And then add that on top with five patents. So very very smart individual and so that that leads me to uh to my first question mitch which is um was your education in science and engineering ever a stumbling block to your belief in god and and if it wasn't how so yeah it 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 actually was and it it wasn't necessarily directly it wasn't as if i was studying when i was doing research in science or doing um education in science but i was actually studying um, things like cosmology and the age of the universe or evolution or anything like that. It was much more of a, I think what I did, my education in science uh, over that time, I, I developed a real respect for science and what it can do. And um, I saw that firsthand. So it was more of a general respect for what science and engineering could tell us about the world and that in combination i mean i've always been a skeptic just kind of a had had a skeptical temperament um yeah just i always have so even before i studied engineering there was always always had struggles with the faith and um questions like that so i think that skeptical temperament and in combination with this really high regard for science, mm-hmm. what I perceived that science told us about the faith, those together um, really created kind of a perfect storm uh, 
of, and, and caused me a lot of trouble, in fact. Mm, okay. Mm. And so what, what were some of the things that, that might have struggled to you? you? If you could mention a couple of those or... Yeah. So again, like I said, I mean, some, some of the issues were just philosophical, um, you know, things having to do with say omniscience or omnipotence. And some of them had to do with, uh, the nature of, well, uh, probably most of these, the nature of scripture and what it, what it seems to say about, uh, the, the cosmos, what it seems to say about origins, human origins, the origins of the universe, and what I understood to be the findings of of science, and just how to reconcile those two things. Sure. And, um, yeah, and again, uh, a lot of it has to do w- with temperament too. I mm-hmm. think that some people just happen just question and doubt more than others. Yeah, and I think I felt that category. So obviously, the, in your and those academic credentials that I listed, you know, you went from mechanical engineering and then to philosophy. Did that jump happen because of, you know, some doubts that you were uh, struggling with? Yeah, yeah, it did. It was actually, I mean, that was exactly why I okay. uh, made the switch. And in fact, so so while I was um, struggling, having kind of, I was really having a crisis of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, the church that I, I went to at the time, this was in Orlando, and a lot of the there the pastor uh, had gone to Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, and I had a number of friends there who were going to RTS, and they were helping me through these. And they said, mm-hmm. "Hey, here," they handed me some books on philosophy, on on science, and I started to uh, read, and really, <laughs> I realized, oh, so people have thought about these things before. Um, that's helpful to know, and right. Uh, so I started taking courses at RTS just to at seminary just to learn just to, mm. for my own benefit and uh, and and while I was there I I got interested in philosophy and apologetics and then the my, my mentor there ended up encouraging me to go into ministry teaching ministry and that's that's what I did I left engineering and went back to school um, for quite a while and then uh, here I am uh, teaching. Right, and so, and then, then you got to study later up in your. Whenever you ended up going to Notre Dame, you ended up studying under Alvin Plantiga. For those who yeah. don't know who Alvin Plantiga is, can you kind of tell us a little bit about him? And then, how was that experience too? Just kind of studying with him. That's it's pretty. So it's a it's a privilege. Yeah, it really, it really was. It was it was an an honor to be sure. I still I I still can't. You know, it's still hard for me to believe that I was I was God allowed me to do that, but um. So, Plantinga, he, you know, when he started his philosophical career back in, say, the 50s, atheism was kind of the, had taken over the academic world, particularly in philosophy, the the Christian, anybody who was a Christian in philosophy would just kind of keep their head down, and it was just not, the faith was just really not respectable in um, academia, and Plantinga, uh, was through his work and how uh, the, the study of knowledge, the study of uh, reality and, and metaphysics and all of that, um, he made some great strides um, just because he was so technically competent and he had such great arguments for the faith, really was one of the people who caused uh, faith to have 
kind of this comeback in academic circles. So it was, it was interesting that, you know, in the 60s, Time magazine had this, I think it was the 60s, you know, is God dead mm-hmm. kind of thing on the cover. Uh, and then later, I think it was probably in the 80s, they had an article about God making a comeback in the academy. And mm-hmm. uh, really, the part of the article was how Planaga had been instrumental in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real, basically a, a kind of a Christian revolution that's happened since maybe the 60s in uh, philosophy, and it's been really exciting to see. Yeah, that's exciting. We we recently interviewed, well, last podcast, it was Andrew Clavin, and I want to see if you agree with him. It's it kind of... It's kind of going off of what you just said, but he's Clavin was saying that he he's expecting a resurgence in uh, sort of I guess studying God and having religion sort of being cool again. I hate to phrase it that way, but yeah, um, right. but <laughs> it, but pretty much theism coming back into the academic circles and back into the universities. Do you, do you see that at all? Any signs of that? Yeah, well, certainly in the philosophy world, that's. That's definitely the case, um, okay. and that's been the case since probably the '80s, and that's just grown um, and continued to grow. So, I, yeah, if it continues the way it it's been going the last couple, few decades, then I would say, yeah, it's just going to increase. I mean, you know, Yoda taught us that the feet hard to see, but um, <laughs> it's always moving. Always yeah. moving, it is. But um, yeah, it seems like that's a reasonable position to take because it certainly happened so far. Yeah, it is. Is do you what do you attribute that to? I know as um you know as technology you know makes advances and you know we we're able to look at DNA, you know, at a microscopic level and you know you look at that and you just see design and I mean what what are some of the attributes? I mean, is it technology? Is it just uh things that are just going I mean people's people studying this? I mean, what what are what are some of the factors? I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, th- I think a lot of it really is just the, sh- the, um, the influence that Planinga okay. uh, had on the, the, the academy. I mean, mm-hmm. real, there's just, it was just very difficult to ignore uh, his work. And then you have people, you know, his friend uh, uh, Nicholas Wolterstorff, another uh, reformed uh, Christian uh, philosopher, mm-hmm. Just there was this resurgence in, you know, they were at Calvin College at the time, and there was this resurgence, particularly in the 80s, in religious epistemology or Mm. theories of knowledge. And um, that just made such a huge splash. And uh, now, at the same time, I'm sure it has to do with, uh, I'm sure there are other factors, like you said, there, you know, we're learning more about how the world works in ways, and the more we learn, the more fascinating and intricate yeah. and exqu- seemingly exquisitely designed, and I think it is. Um, so I, I think there's, there's there are also those kinds of factors, but I would attribute a lot of it having to do with the work of Planinga and his colleagues. Mm, yeah, wow. I, I have a friend who said that he, he kind of came to this sort of general, general theism, and he said that it was... Um, his reaction from coming from an atheism to theism was sort of um, the radical leftism of like postmodernism and also just relativity mm-hmm. and how he just kind of listening to them, he saw how that was just 
insane. And so I guess when he just started seeing a little bit of that play out, he said, well, maybe this God thing really isn't that crazy at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so now he's, I think he's studying law. And so he's starting to, to, to come to theism or, you know, sort of this general idea of it. So, well, I think, I, I, I think that's a good, I, and that brings up kind of the strategy of the, the book, how to be, how to be an atheist is yeah. that I, I do think that one of the things that Christians need to do is to just make it help or try to make it clear what the implications of unbelief are. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, before, so look, before we even start arguing, let's just, let's just look at the sides and see what the, you know, if you're going to be an atheist, here's what you believe. If you're going to be a, a Christian, here's what you believe. Here are right. the implications of your view. And so, you know, and I think this has been a, this has been one of the main encouragements to me, uh, particularly as I struggle even now, you know, as I as I have questions and doubts. And one of the things that is, is really helpful is to see that the alternative to Christianity is just, at this point, I just couldn't believe it. It's just yeah. untenable. Mm. And so, you know, that's not the whole thing. You know, it's not just... Um, it's just not that the alternative is 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 worse. It's it's just that's a but it is a really big help. I kind of think about um, when Jesus is, yeah, you know, he's he's saying something radical as usual um, <laughs> yeah. in the gospel, and and the you know some of his listeners start turning away, and then he goes to you know his, the, the disciples around him and says, "So you guys want to leave too?" And <laughs> I love that. Was it Peter? I forget who, but he's like. Yeah. Lord, where would we go? Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, that, mm-hmm. I think there's a That's good. sense with that. It's like, you, you know, you have the words of life. This other, these other worldviews are just, they, I just can't believe them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's so good. Yeah, I love that part, especially, you know, when, when we're reading that and, you know, they, they love Jesus when he's doing stuff for them. But when he stops, you know, everybody just wants to take off, you know, and, yeah. and Jesus, yeah. Jesus does a, such a good job calling them out. <laughs> There's other parts in the Bible that, that kind of make me think of that. But it's uh, it's whenever he's talking about the leaven and the bread and then they're like, we didn't bring bread. And he's like, no, I'm not talking about it. <laughs> that part always makes me laugh. That's hilarious. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so back to your book. Uh, why why did you name your book How to Be an Atheist? Um, are you giving atheists advice on how to be better atheists? And, and yeah, you... <laughs> that, yeah, it, it, it can kind of sound um, uh, arrogant. I mean, I, I don't want it to sound like that. I mean, obviously, it's supposed to be provocative, but yeah. it, the, the the title alludes actually to a famous article by Albert Plantinga called How to Be an Anti-Realist. Um, where he's he's arguing ag- against anti-realism, and so that was just appealing to me. Uh, you know, he he's what he's doing in that article. He's saying, "Look, if you're going to be an anti-realist, here are the implications," mm. and that's what I wanted to do when it came to atheism. And so it's it's basically a a, a play on that, but it, it's not just that too. I mean, it's it, it's obviously not telling the well. I should say obviously, but it isn't. I'm not telling atheists what to believe. I'm saying, look, here's what I think atheist, atheism implies. Um, and that's not the only thing I do. I mean, like one of the, the other things, too, is I think that Christians need to learn how to be the right kind of skeptics. Hmm. 
there's a you know there there are ditches on either side, and um, I think sometimes we're overly skeptical when we ought not be over overly skeptical, or we're skeptical for the wrong reasons about things. Mm, right. And uh, again, I think that's one of the things that I try to hash out um, and just take slow, you know, going slowly through here. Here's the way, here's the way we know things. Here's the way science knows things. Yeah. Here are the implications of, you know, if there's no God, here's what I think you have to deal with. Yeah. yeah. How did you come up with the cover design? It's it's so simple yet like very attractive. It is it is nice. <laughs> yeah, that was that wasn't me. I didn't come up with that. That was the the artist um you know, the graphic designer hmm. for uh Crossway. Okay. Okay. Crossway always killing it, man, yeah, with their book covers. They're they so do. good. That that whole team up there. Every time I look, I'm just going to buy this book cuz it yeah. looks good. <laughs> yeah, I had I had a brother come in and he came up to my desk uh and he was like, "How to be a atheist?" Like, so he couldn't quite read the cover. And I was yeah. like, "No, it's yeah, how to right, be right. a atheist." <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So you, the subtitle of your book is Why Many Skeptics Aren't Skeptical Enough. And in your book, you discuss two forms of skepticism, sober skepticism and skepticism about God. Can you talk about those two and, and, and how, are, how are they even different? Yeah, so, so on the one hand, so what, what I'm calling sober skepticism is, is kind of, is, that's the good, that, that's the white hat. And then skepticism about God is the black hat. And um, the sober skeptic, uh, the sober skepticism. What I mean by that is sober-minded. You know, it's more of a. It's not a skepticism that's out of control. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's just like, ah, oh, I'm not going to believe anything, and you become cynical and you miss out on important truths about the world just sure. because you're, you're you're irrationally skeptical. But then at the same time, it's not it's not overly credulous either where you just it, you know you're kind of like this epistemic vacuum cleaner and sucking in everything and believing it all mm-hmm. so it's kind of this middle ground of how do you look at you know how it's basically how do you use your intellectual faculties um well mm-hmm. and and that's really all all that sober skepticism is and then but then skepticism about god is um and this notion of skepticism is maybe you might say a, a kind of doubt, a kind of yeah. You know, well, I don't know if I ought to believe that sort of thing. And and obviously there's there are good kinds of there's good kinds of doubt. Otherwise, you know, if you're and, and I don't want to insult any any um, cars salesman, but um, yeah, I mean, if you you want to you want to have your guard up if you're gonna walk onto a Use car lot, you know. I mean, you, you, sure. you yeah. want to you want to be appropriately skeptical. You're going to get taken advantage of. Now, skepticism with respect to God is something like I said. That, that's that. That's the, what I would say the bad skepticism is. But it's an unbelief about God. It's look, basically I don't believe that He exists. Uh, now, at the same time, I say it's the black hat, and I say that it's the bad thing. I I do think that for for all all Christians, there, there's an unbeliever in everybody's heart somewhere. You know, I mean, there's no, in this world, you know, in this life, at least we are, we'll never be free of sin. There's always going to be some sort of question, some mm-hmm. sort of doubt. And now in some people, obviously it's much more, it's, it's much more balanced so other people, but you know, I, I want us to be careful and not 
entirely point the finger without realizing that, you know, we're, we're we, we have weaknesses, too, in this area. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, and, and going off of that, I remember hearing Dennis Prager. He talked about one time he did some sort of lecture at some atheist conference, and, and he said, um, I think he asked the question, how many of you doubt uh, your position that there is no God? Uh, you know, raise your hand, and nobody raised their hand. And he said, "Wow, you know, as a theist, I'm 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 willing to admit that you know there's some doubts in in me, and I have some questions. But you guys are so sure. Do Do you really believe people like Daniel Dennett, uh, Sam Harris, Dawkins? Um, they really believe at the bottom of their heart there absolutely is no God. Yeah, I I mean I I do think that they believe that. Um, I I would be surprised if they. Again, I don't know that, but I, I'd be surprised if they never thought, you know, hey, what if I'm wrong? You know I, I mean? Yeah, that's I, what I'm asking, yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I I would be surprised if they didn't ever have those questions. I think a, a rational person ought to. I mean, I just think that given our, our finitude, I mean, not just our sin, but just given our finitude, yeah. we're, we just— we can't have certainty about things. That's just, I mean, the only way to have that kind of, the kind of certainty that doesn't doubt anything is to be, to be God. Yeah. And that's we're obviously not him. And so, so I, if they don't have doubts, that's just, they're, they're, I don't know that that's, they're either naive or yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to get my head around someone who doesn't, who's 100% certain about their position on just about anything. So, um, uh, Dr. Stoke, you, your book aims to critically examine two things that skeptics hold dear, and it's science and morality. If you're going to have a debate between a theist and, a, and an atheist, it's going to come down to these two things. But uh, in your book, you talk about that science does undo atheism. Can you talk a little bit about that? In, in what ways does science undo atheism? Mm. Yeah, so so I, I mean there 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 are quite a number of ways I would say I mean there, in the, a project that I'm working on currently is um, the use of and bear with me the use of mathematics in contemporary physics and okay. and looking at how evolution unguided blind evolution how would that explain our ability to do physics that way um and let me give you an example so we have so we one of our current theories about the world is quantum mechanics and and an offshoot of it quantum quantum field theory but we we believe that there are these subatomic particles Mm -hmm. um called let's say quarks so quarks are i mean they're far far beyond anything that we would be able to see with our eye i mean we'll never be able to detect them directly it's always an inference to them but we have good evidence to to believe that there are these things okay and now a lot of the way we came to discover quarks is i mean obviously experimental results are part of it but we really basically had to follow the mathematics because it's far beyond our sense perception so we're the the founders of these theories just had the most remarkable, complicated, abstract mathematics. And they were able to follow that mathematics, 
even when it seemed like sometimes, man, I don't know if I should follow this. This is some crazy. This hmm. is some. These are giving me some crazy answers. They they'd use their creativity along with this really high, um, octane, abstract mathematics, and it turns out that there just may in fact be quarks. And so so here's the point. Um, first of all, the math is incredibly difficult, incredibly abstract. Hmm. Second, the things that the math is telling about us is far beyond anything that we can um, get with our uh, detect with our senses. Now, my question, and this is the, this is what are the, how would evolution, natural you know, natural selection, account for cognitive faculties that can do that, and uh, intellectual sure. capability that could. You know, let's say you're running around on the plains of the African, you know, on the African savanna. Mm-hmm. You're be, you're being chased by packs of wild dogs or whatever. You know, nature's trying to kill you. You know, there's certain things that you need right now, and certain things, according to the evolutionary story, that you know nature is going to going to weed out people that can't do this and keep people who can't who can do that. And it's going to, but it boils down to how you survive in that environment. Mm-hmm. Okay, what on, you know, let's say according to the, the current evolutionary story, story we, we stopped evolving, I don't know, 200,000 years ago. Now, what are the odds? And I, I don't know the odds, but it seems pretty, they're, they're pretty hot. I mean, the pretty low that you would, that evolution or natural selection would be able to produce organisms with the capabilities that we have that have nothing i mean our ability to discover quarks that's so above and beyond anything required for um you know procreating finding food and avoiding danger yeah you know so there's so here's the point it's hard to see how if you take science seriously, let's say you take um, physics seriously, and you really see what the amazing things that humans have done, how even the existence of science could be accounted for if you took evolution sure. seriously. Yeah. And so there seems to be this kind of undermining of, you know, if you take science seriously, ah, you know what, it doesn't seem, let's say you're, you're, de- you're, you're just, you're not going to give up evolution and you know, look, there's just too much evidence for it. I'm not going to give it up. It would be hard to me. It seems like you're forced then into some sort of heavily guided evolution, which requires some sort of design. And so that's, right. and, and obviously on atheism, you can't have that. So I think in a sense, so that's one way that science, I think undermines atheism sure and i think that's, and notice that that's a high view of, of science yeah um i'm i have a very high view of physics it's it's just absolutely remarkable and um i spend a lot of time studying the epistemology of science what we've discovered what we haven't discovered and it's and it's just incredible so it's a high view of science not not a oh well science science is you know always science is bad yeah. Yeah. So what you're saying, I mean, that the, those mathematics point to God. It, it, it sort of reminds me of um, 
it's a brother of mine. Uh, his son is an engineer. I think he works like on submarines or something. And his father said, wow, you're, you're really smart to be able to do these equations. And he looked at his dad and said, no, dad, the smart person is the guy who figured out that equation. And, yeah. and, yeah. and I think that's kind of what we're getting at here. Am, am I correct? And then not only that, but also how did that equation even get there? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I think, it, I mean, this, it just, the the more you look at the history and the conceptual development of contemporary physics, the more fascinating and astounding it is. I mean, the stuff that and I, and, and even when I even during my graduate um, studies in uh, engineering, we really didn't talk about that. I mean, I it, w- it was I didn't appreciate the things that. I was doing until much later huh. when looking at the history and philosophy of science. Huh. That that's interesting. So now, I mean, you studied mechanical engineering. So now when you look at a, you know, a tight a tall skyscraper, then you're maybe reading some stuff in physics. I mean, to you that's that's pretty clear evidence of uh, a designer is is am I fair in saying that? Yeah, yeah, and it's really um far beyond just being able to build um you know to, to build buildings and i mean which is which is astounding in itself right mm. um being able to to come up with mathematical equations mathematical formulas that tell us about things unseen that we couldn't ever see yeah that's yeah. crazy um the the odds of that i just i find that if there was no god that would be the the craziest <laughs> i mean it would it'd be such a hard thing to for me mm. to get my mind around right yeah. like it, like it, like is there a is there an equation or a, a math behind the unseen things of the spiritual realm and and like right like right there's a spiritual realm where where is the science behind that right that we just have no yeah. no idea of you know but i'm sure it it's exists a, yeah right? something metaphysical yeah metaphysical but is there something that you know? I mean, right? That, I mean, I guess you can just go and go wild with this with your, you know, just thinking those things. But you know, sure, sure, yeah. And so, Mitch, that brings me to kind of something that I experienced in high school, which was in the early two thousands, and uh, there was a lot of the the loud four horsemen: Dennett, Dawkins, Harris, Christopher uh-huh. Hitchens. Um, I mean, if when atheism, when Christians were converting to atheism, it was usually because of these guys' books and writings. And Dawkins famously wrote a book called The God Delusion. And I remember reading about it, read some et- excerpts, and I remember thinking to myself, um, man, maybe what what I believe in, uh, it is a delusion. Maybe, maybe I am dumb. So I kind of got gaslighted into believing that, and so I had some struggles and doubts. Um, is believing in god when they say it's just a delusion i mean it, uh, what, what do you think about that is that are they really overstating um science uh are they being too confident i do think the tenor of their books and their writing is way the their conf- the confidence with which these guys write is way um out of proportion with the evidence that they have um there's a there's a lot of bluster. There's a lot of um, rhetoric there that's that's actually to me disconcerting. I think that to say that it's 
a delusion. You were speaking about your own experience and you read, you're reading, let's say you're reading these books or reading um, Dawkins book or whatever. Now, here's, I do want to say this. I don't think that there's absolutely nothing to their arguments. I mean, I, I think this is one of the things that we really need to um, acknowledge as believers is that, you know what, we don't have 100% certainty and there are things that seem to count against the existence of God. We need to acknowledge that. We need to, we also need to put them in the right places. But I think to, I'm, and right now I'm just kind of addressing their, um, their overblown confidence. I don't, I would hate for us to fall into that, you know, as Christians to fall into that as well and not have a, you know, a, a, an honest fourth, you know, I mean, we can, all right, so we are back. For some reason, we're having technical difficulties with uh, Skype. But anyway, Mitch, go ahead and uh, finish up that thought, brother. Yeah. So when, when you know, the, someone like Dawkins claims that you know our belief in God is a delusion, um, you know, obviously that it, it would only be a delusion if we if there wasn't a God, right? I mean, that mm-hmm. so so. The, the claim that it is a delusion is is predicated on um, whether or not God actually exists. Uh, so I think, so, but obviously, if, if well, let, let me let me say this. I think the problem with him saying that it's a delusion is he's not acknowledging that there are good reasons. I mean, it's one thing to say, I mean, I wouldn't even say that an atheist is 100% deluded. I wouldn't say atheist. I think they right. have decent reasons for believing that God doesn't exist. Um, delusion, I think calling, after after being in this, uh, in this debate for years and for decades now, I've seen you'd really... To make either side look absolutely ridiculous, you really have, would have to just not understand the issues. Mm. Okay. So I think I think the whole delusion thing just kind of reveals, man, either he's just blustering or he just hasn't done enough study of epistemology and religion and science. Uh, for for those who pick up your book, uh, skeptics, what do you hope will will come out of them? Come out of it for those who read it. Yeah, yeah. I I mean the 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 realistic, you know, what I the the moderate um, goal. I mean the the the. I would love for anyone who's not a believer to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I mean that's obviously the the end game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, the the more realistic goal that I had was just to make skeptics and non-skeptics think about the issues more clearly. So there's, I think we would have much better debates and conversations if we took into account the the genuine limits of what we know and the way we the ways we know the the limits of science or how good how amazing science is i think that's one of the things that christians can underestimate is um 
you know, they can sometimes just say, look, because science said it, it must be false. And it's like, gosh, that is just the wrong attitude to have towards science. There may be things that it gets wrong, no doubt. Sure. But you should know, you know, you should have good reasons for believing that. And that's fine. I mean, I, I'd be a skeptic about science. That's no big deal. But I don't think, I think underappreciating it. And so I think giving people this kind of, um, just a, a, a more realistic view of what we can know and what we can't will allow us to, you know, be able to further the conversation and just not have, you know, you're obviously not going to have a good conversation with Richard Dawkins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you will have a good conversation with someone like Thomas Nagel, who's an atheist. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's a nice atheist. Yeah, he's but he's and he's also super competent. In my opinion, I mean, he's just a great philosopher, mm-hmm. and he's very intellectually honest. Yeah, he is. A, he is a really. So I think that guy. intellectual, I think that intellectual honesty is is really important. Um, and he's over at NYU, for, right? I'm sorry. I, I I think so. I think so. Okay. Yeah, I just the, the, the it was basically just I would like for people to think through these issues more clearly. Mm-hmm. And so that when we do talk about them, you know, we're, we're not making these straw men. Before, before we land the plane here on the program, I, if you could just at least give one or two examples of how science cannot account for everything. Yeah. Well, I, the, the one I said before, I think the, 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 the cognitive abilities of humans is one. I think it's even more than that, but I think just the, the, the fact that we can do the kinds of physics we can, the fact that we can build something like the Large Hadron Collider and it works, you know, the largest yeah. machine ever built by human. I mean, just, I mean, just that is crazy, crazy, yeah. ridiculously <laughs> advanced, you know, I mean, like it, it but, but then at the other side too, I think it's um, science can't account for a robust kind of morality that we normally think of it as that there's this human independent standard of right and wrong hmm. um it can certainly explain i mean i, I don't even this but let's say i think in principle it could explain why we feel certain things are right and wrong but that's just our our feeling i mean there's got to be in, in order to have that really robust serious right or wrong that you can actually you know to keep that actually keeps humanity from just going into utter collapse is you have to have something that is more than just human feeling yeah and i just don't i mean science cannot account for and it certainly can't support um actual value or morality you know hume hume even realized that hume realized that basically all science can do is account for our sentiments of right and wrong huh. and i mean he called them sentiments so it really is the sentimentalism that you get and um yeah I, I, so so i think <laughs> the, so i don't think that science can account for itself and i don't think it can account for um human independent reality yeah yeah all right dr mitch stoke well we're going to go ahead and end the program but before as always we like to uh have our guests share the gospel with our audience so if you could do so that'd be great 
Yeah, I'd, I'd love that. That um, you know, I think there, there are a number of ways to address this, but uh, you know, got the the most important things for us as humans are relationships, and um, I think that's kind of the key is this this need and desire. You know, we're built for that. And we're we're ultimately built. You know, God built us for a relationship with Him. You know, and that's and unless we have that, our lives aren't going to work well. Um, but not only that, so so he made us for a relationship with him. We we disobeyed him. We turned from him. Um, not only are things going wrong with us now, but we've also violated this gracious God's laws. This, mm-hmm. you know, the, in, in the only way back to him is for us, for, for someone to pay for those sins, and for and, and there's no way for humans to do that. And God graciously made a way back to him through his through his son dying on the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in order to we we it's and, and it's not just a matter of avoiding eternal damnation. I think that's, and I don't want to downplay that. I think that's very, very important. Um, you know, if we were to take the punishment for the sins that we have committed, will commit, then that's a, a fate, obviously worse than death. But there's also this benefit and a, a kind of flourishing that accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior now gives you. It starts to heal heal humans it starts to align god starts to align your values your likes your dislikes with his mm. and when and in doing that you're you start working the way you ought to and you start having that relationship with him which what you were built for so it's not just you're not just accepting jesus in in what he's done on the cross paying for your sins just so that you'll avoid hell it is so that you'll have this relationship that actually heals and starts to heal now and i think until that you just you know and again i'm 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 partly speaking from experience you're just not going to find that sort of um fulfillment and flourishing unless you have that relationship with him which you're built for yeah yeah amen mm, yeah. amen dr peace of god right yeah. The peace of God. Not like the world gives. So I just want to encourage all of our audience to pick up How to Be an Atheist by Dr. Mitch Stokes. It's a great book. I'm yeah. working my way through it. Um, for our audience as well, Dr. Stokes, uh, you also have some other books, and also where can they find you? Yeah. No, um, so at MitchStokes.com or um, basically the for any of the books, just look on Amazon under under my name. And yeah, that's, that's probably the best way to find me. All righty. Well, thank you so much for coming on, brother. It was a pleasure to to have you. We definitely have to have you back on, yeah. minus the uh, Skype issues and you sounding <laughs> like a complete robot sometimes when you're talking, but it's all right. <laughs> no, that's just me. I, well, no, I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks very much. No, thank you, doctor, for coming on. We really appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, thank you so much for tuning in to today's program. Uh, We will be back next week. Uh, But before I go, 
If you want to help support Bridge Ministries, please visit www.bridgebookstexas.org. Hit that about slash give page and you could find more information about us. We are a Christian bookstore and coffee shop and we're absolutely dedicated to equipping and discipling uh, Christians in what they believe, why they believe it, how to share the gospel, and obviously how to live it. Um, And yeah, you could do so there. And as always, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Later. Later.